0: podcast i'm your host jeff niemeyer the mission of student of money is to connect listeners like you to a community of like-minded individuals to help you achieve your goal of financial freedom through entrepreneurship investing real estate and personal development this is episode 34 All right, I am super excited to introduce you to today's guest. And if you're watching this video version on YouTube, you probably already know who it is. But for those of you listening to the audio on our podcasting platforms, then you're going to want to stay tuned to what this 30-year real estate veteran has to say. It's about a 30-minute interview. We got invited down to their office. So let's get started. All right, guys, we're on location for this week's podcast. I'm extremely excited to have on my show today, Daryl High of High Properties. So Daryl started High Properties 35 years ago in 1988 with one residential property and has grown to be one of the largest developers and owner operators in the state of Iowa. The company is vertically integrated and has in-house land development and construction as well as in-house property management. So welcome to the show, Daryl. Hi.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Hey, it's great. Thank you for inviting me down to your your office. This is awesome. I actually watched this building. uh, Well, you rehabbed it, right? I
1: did. I did.
0: So, and we'll talk about that a little bit where, you know, but you mainly do new development and construction.
1: We we do. Uh, We will buy some properties if we can find them. That's been difficult recently. Uh, We started in the business buying properties and then As time went on, we started to develop our own and build our own.
0: So you didn't do, so you bought uh, pre-existing, you know, or or let's just go back to 1988.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, It's actually kind of a a good story, and it's one I've had an opportunity to tell a few times. Um, uh, The city of Cedar Rapids had had a rehabilitation property over at 858 18th Street Southeast. And people ask me, they go, you can remember it. And I go, I can remember all of them. And uh, so 858 18th Street Southeast um, was for sale. And I put a purchase offer in on it for $10,000 in 1988. And it needed a lot of rehab. Uh, and they had some, uh, I think five or $10,000 worth of rehab money that was available through the city. Uh, the problem is I didn't have the $10,000. And so I went down to the local bank just a few blocks from here, uh, Guarantee Bank, and I met with Tom Nugent, who was the loan officer, and I told him my spill, and I was uh, 19 years old, uh, and he said, Darrell, I'll I'll loan you the money, but you're going to have to get your parents to co-sign for you. And so he did, and my parents did co-sign for me, and I bought it and uh, rehabbed it and rented it and proceeded to let the tenants uh, non-pay me for a while, and, and I finally got them out and learned a lesson, and they filed bankruptcy, and the first expedition in Dural High's property ownership was not very successful, uh, but it, it, it was something that I was pretty passionate about, and so uh, um, from there, I bought um, another property and another property, and they were all small um, single-family older properties um, then I bought some duplexes and I kind of went from there and um, 35 years later here we are
0: yeah here we are um, so you said you when you first started out obviously you didn't have any money right parents had to co-sign how, how did uh, how, so how did you finance it the bank gave you the money but you did, did you have to have like my first deal, I put eighty percent down first, and then I did a another ten percent second, and right. then we kind of scraped the money together to kind of get it going. Right. It sounds like you kind of had to do the same thing, uh, is this, this was back in back in eighty eight, right, early nineties, right. and you could probably get a first and a second, or but when you're doing rehabs and constructions, mm-hmm. a lot of that might be after repair value they look at and what they're lending on.
1: They I can't remember exactly the whole terms, but we had a little bit of money. I say we, I had a little bit, I say we now because I'm married, but uh, I had a little bit of cash that I put in and then I did all the labor. I mean, I, I did everything except run the wires and do the furnace, um, rebuilding, retaining walls and, and so forth and painting and drywall and, 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 and scrubbing the hardwood floors and so forth. So I had maybe a little sweat equity, um, but that was how I, how I got the first one started
0: so when was that aha moment where you said i gotta i can't do this all the just by myself all the time and i got to start hiring some of this out
1: well i think that um you know incrementally as my business grew um i was always pretty hands-on i was always part of You know working on the assets and in the early days i went between myself trying to management which was probably not the right idea to hiring a third party manager in the in 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 the business um but i up until um i was still running a skid loader you know 10 years ago um, may, well, maybe a little bit longer. Fifteen years ago, halfway through, uh, I was hand. I'm a hands-on guy. I drive a pickup truck. I, I I know how to build things, and mm-hmm. and uh, so back in the early days, I had grown up. Um, my dad was a hog farmer. My uncles were landscapers. I grew up out the house working every day, um, so I could load and unload and do what it needed needed to be done. And so as we grew. Um, I think that one of the main turning points was when I decided to manage myself, so that was probably at maybe sixty units or eighty units somewhere in there, and then from there, and that was you know kind of a lost leader in the beginning because you're not making enough money really to the property management company's not being profitable, but at least you're controlling your own destiny and the type of tenants you get and uh, your expense control and so forth. So from there, I was able to start that process. And really, that was just with a couple of people, like a maintenance. Adam Green was my first employee. Um, Adam's a very successful general contractor in the state of Florida now. Um, left me and went on to out to Denver and became very successful. But I remember when Adam started with me, I mean, he had a wife and a newborn, and and we were going to tackle the world, just him and I and property management. and build, And by then, we were building some houses. And, and so forth
0: yeah no that's great it, it so you really were hands-on and early on and doing but um you know and i am too and that's as i was telling you earlier that's kind of my flaw is i'm so hands-on right. that i have a really hard time letting go of that and having someone else manage my property and having and it's kind of held me back and uh so now i'm trying to figure out who can I partner with? Who can I, uh, you know, what I would I hire and and or just bring it in house? Because you're very vertically integrated. Right. You you do your own management and you only manage your properties. Right. And same thing with your construction is um, it's all vertically integrated. But I'm assuming too with the construction, like how many employees do you have today?
1: Uh, Twenty five.
0: Twenty five. Okay. So that's pretty slim. I, that's pretty... I mean, yeah. so you're... Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and how many of those are on property management and how many of those are on construction?
1: So mm, 21 or two are probably property management. There's only three or four of us in construction development.
0: Okay. And how many total units do you have today?
1: About 1,250 cool. under, under... that are built and running. And then we have about 800 in some form of development, construction, pipeline.
0: Yeah. So you're doing... A lot of development, because I, I'll tell you, to, to get here to your office, I had to drive by one of your properties. <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know, when, when I when I look online, so you're in the Cedar Rapids, Hiawatha market. Mm-hmm. You're in the Waterloo, Cedar Falls market. You're in Iowa City, Coralville, and of course, Tiffin. Mm-hmm. And then you're in Davenport. Uh, so you 're in all of the the major eastern Iowa markets, and of course, um, I really like that you 're in Tiffin. I was like because, yeah that 's just exploding that area sure. is really exploding yeah. and these are these are big developments uh, you know seventy five acres and, and or more of where you're you 're developing and it 's primarily um, is it all multifamily
1: a lot of it is that multifamily is our is the lane we like to be in. We do do a little bit of commercial because sometimes the land development calls for that. Um, but uh, if we had our druthers, we would buy. We bought the 75 acre South of Prairie School College community, and uh, most of that is, is going to be a, a version of multifamily. There'll be some assisted living that we will sell off. Um, and we're going to Dubuque, so uh, um, we're we're partnering with Conlon Construction in Dubuque to do a project up there, and uh, we're we're excited about that. It'll expand our footprint into into that market, which is somewhere we'd want it, we've wanted to go for a long time.
0: Yeah, I love Dubuque. I've got uh, a rental in Dubuque. And, you know, I started in student housing mm-hmm. and uh, kind of transitioned to workforce and, and family apartment complexes. But uh, Dubuque, I think, is another, yeah, another gem out there. So let me, since you are in eastern Iowa, I mean, this is not exactly a top 50 market. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've heard this in the past. This isn't East Coast. This isn't West Coast. This isn't the Sun Belt. Uh, you know, it's Midwest. It gets cold here. Winters are a little harsh. Populations... Are not really increasing dramatically. Right. Uh, how do you look at that? This this submarket, or this is kind of a second tier market.
1: Well, I I think um, we. Really appreciate Eastern Iowa for what it is. I moved here from Orlando, Florida. I actually just got back from two weeks on the west coast my My daughter lives in Irvine California, which is there in orange county and i'm very we're very blessed that we live here. I do believe that we um, are on the tipping point, uh, especially in the corridor of of our area growing to that kind of half a million population and and i believe when we get there you can go back and look at historical communities or areas that got to that tipping point and then there was nice growth and i think you're starting to see some of that out by the airport um i think you're starting to see some of that with some of the more national guys who are looking around in our in our market so i think it's a pro and a con i mean i i can tell you that for me as a business owner um i couldn't I couldn't do what i do in orange county california i just could i don't have enough money um and there's really just so little amount of raw ground or anything to work on so um we're blessed to be here and we're happy about eastern iowa and uh Uh, I feel like we've got a lot of really talented developers too, and and real estate people, and and economic development people that are out growing our communities. And now that the DOT is really engaged on the 8380 interchange and, and expanding 380, and Tower Terrace is getting done, and the airport is growing with Marty's leadership. I mean, these are all really positive things. And I think for most of us, or all of us that are here and have an opportunity to work in eastern iowa i think it's a good place to be i always say this you know when teleconnect went public everybody wanted to be with clark mccloud but but the but the thing i always ask people is would you went with clark when he worked in his Garage in Bowman Woods, and most people are going. I don't know if I'm going over and working this guy's garage. So you got to take your opportunity when it's there, because everybody wants to be there. You know, in the Super Bowl. The question is, do you want to do the work in spring practice, which is what what I believe we are. I think we got great opportunity in Eastern Iowa.
0: And you're really embedded into the community you're on uh, a couple boards mm-hmm. and so you're tied into the city. so like last night you were at a city council meeting mm-hmm. and i'm assuming you were talking about a development that you were doing we, we with, were. with them so you're constantly working and kind of what do they want to what do they want to have what do they want to develop sure um tell me about how you work with the
1: community well over the years i mean we have i think built a relationship with most of the communities that we work in um we pride ourselves on on doing good work and and because we own the assets long term um a lot of a lot of the concern when you show up and you're the multifamily guy is oh my god i don't want apartments or but for us maybe we have a little easier time because you know we've developed properties 20 plus years ago the one example i'll use is over on edgewood road i don't know if it's the one you drove by because we own a few over there um off 29th street just uh north of o avenue uh and and when we replatted that cypress point we had i mean like 100 neighbors in the city council chambers the old chambers and uh they were all against it It was going to ruin the world you know we've owned that property now for 20 years and we've had no issues with the neighbors um monica vernon was the chair of the planning zoning commission when that was Um, passed and uh, I think she said some 15 years later in a city council meeting when she was the mayor pro tem that she appreciated that we worked hard and kept our properties up and rented to good people and um, and so it's not a detriment so so I guess full circle on your question uh, we're able to work with the communities because of that track record so if you don't have that track record and you want to develop you just have to start you just have to start. You have to kind of learn the ropes and kind of go in and meet with the community development people and city staff and just go through the process. And um, you know, to one of your former guests on your podcast, if you do a duplex, it's a great place to start or fourplex. Just try one, and 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 then the process is kind of the same whether it's two units or or more. Um, you just learn, just like just like we did. Um,
0: yeah so is the average size of a so on a multifamily because i don't see a whole lot of 200 units or more mm-hmm. in our area right but you know definitely 100
1: i mean mm-hmm. where, where's your sweet spot so so it's a good question um if we if we mm-hmm. could do 100 or 120 if we could do 140 on that site we probably would there, there, once you're there you manage it you build it the economies of scale start to help you. You have a few more units. You don't see a lot of 200-unit projects. Tiffin is a 240. That's one of our largest. Just because there's there's a little more risk in that kind of scale of putting that number of units on there. But I would say our sweet spot's in that in that low hundreds.
0: So you just mentioned risk as far as you know the construction risk of a new development versus an existing property that has a history of rent rolls and it's in a maybe and it's a. Uh, in an area that's already been developed and been around for 20 years. So there's a history with that. So, um, you know, my last podcast developer guest basically said, the more you know about the market and the more you do it, the less the risk goes down because you just have the knowledge or the experience, I guess, of what's risky and what's not. I mean, but when you break a new development like that, like out at Tiffin, Mm -hmm. uh, how do you gauge that? How do you measure that? How do you deal with that
1: so we have kind of two things that happen um, when we assess risk or assess a new project one category is a project like out by the airport in Prairie where we already have um, units and communities in that either school district or that area so and, and we can gauge how our properties are performing and can we fill? you know if you don't have any vacancy then you probably should be looking at maybe expanding the footprint if you go into a new community where you don't maybe have that existing uh, portfolio to draw on, then, then you go to the professionals, do market research, um, third-party market research, appraisers, uh, market studies, and, and then your own boots on the ground. You, you take a look at the market. What, what are people renting it for? Do you think you can compete in that market? Um, and I would say, it, I don't know if it gets easier, I just think it's like anything, the more you do, the more comfortable you have with the data that you can trust what your instincts are telling you.
0: I was talking to you earlier about some developers in in Des Moines mm-hmm. that are, there's, it just seems when I'm watching the market and I'm looking at multi-unit apartment complexes, there's been a lot of them for sale that are fairly new. They were developed in 2017, 2018, 2019. So we're in that five-year sweet spot where they're selling. But you don't sell, do you? <laughs> Not very often. Not very often. Not very often. Yeah. You Absolutely. like to, to long-term hold. Absolutely. Right? Add it to the portfolio. Yeah. Uh, and why do you think they're selling why do you why do developers obviously some people just want to build and right. they don't want to long-term manage you think that's what it is
1: oh I, I think there's a few models you know there's a few different kind of race cars in in the on the track and and we're equity guys I mean that's and gals that's that's what we do we're long-term holders um, we sold a limited number of units over 35 years um, when we go out and do a project, it really is based on us owning it for a long period of time. So that's our model, you know. And 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 so I think that there the one of the other models is the um, you know get in, get built, get occupied, and then get out. And and when you sell, um, you know, for the development entity, there can be really good return there. Um, um, and that is some people's model and i'm i I don't know that one is better than the other it's just two really different models and our model has been to own long term and and uh that will stick with that
0: yeah because again that's kind of my pet peeve with syndications and some of the developers that build is they'll build it and then just get it stabilized and occupied Mm -hmm. and then they're going to try to sell it for that high Rate of return, right. and then roll that money into the next deal, uh, or exchange it, or however you know. It's again, real estate's all about taxes and debt, mm-hmm. and how you manage it and control it, right. And then of course financing, right. The financing. So, um, I'm assuming again, you, you're using the equity from your previous deals mm-hmm. to fund the next
1: deals. we we do i mean we've been able over the years obviously to grow our equity and and grow our uh, our cash so it's easier for us to do transactions today than maybe it was in the beginning Um, but we've got a lot of really good long-term financial partners Um, we have three or four lenders that have been loaning us money since basically the beginning or their beginning um and uh so um, that track record has helped and and we have a model now that's probably a little different than somebody that might go out and build a duplex our model is um that we do the construction development lending here local and then we'll do agency or life insurance non-recourse debt and pay off that local lender. And the local lender likes it because in most cases they keep the operational accounts for the properties. Um, they they get to do what they do. They loan us money and we pay them back. And, and then we put that on the books over a non-recourse and then we go back to them and we do it again. So it, it allows us to continue to have that available um, funding source in the construction development uh, because we're constantly paying them off with the long-term non-recourse. I would urge anybody that's that's getting started to think about that when they're when they're doing their kind of due diligence to get started is who's who's going to be my financial partner Um, and as you get bigger you can shop rate a little bit more and you know you have enough lenders to look at when you're new you kind of need to pick a horse and pick somebody that can also be your ally. Um, same thing on insurance and, and uh, accounting, you know, Glattery now, RSM. I mean, they've done our tax work for decades. And uh, they're an integral part of who we are uh, and how we report and uh, and so forth.
0: A personal question that I really I, – when I was out on your website and I was looking at your vacancies and the empty units, I, I saw most of them were like two-bedroom, one-bath.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you – is that the majority of your units you don't have four and five unit so so good good question um probably yes and we're trying to remedy that we're building more one bedrooms um a few three bedrooms but but the bulk of our book is two bedrooms um we're um two bedroom one bath two bedroom two bath townhomes um now we have some different size categories in that two bedroom but but for a long time that was what that was what we built a lot of
0: I guess that was one of my I guess I'm not gonna call it a mistake but uh, with student housing a lot of times they want that density so there'll mm-hmm. be a lot of four-bedroom right and, and there's houses out there that are five-bedroom houses right. but what I found is those are harder to rent sure they're harder they're bigger they're harder to rent their the rents are higher and to me two bedrooms are kind of that sweet spot sure uh, that I kind of told myself I'm never going to do a four bedroom again, <laughs> right? <laughs> unless it's a really good student housing property.
1: Great. Right. Right. Um,
0: so I guess when I just <laughs> saw that, I was just like, "Wow, maybe you know a secret that I don't." Uh,
1: maybe no, I, I, I don't think so. I I think that now, as you as you grow as you scale, we talk about needing to make sure that we. Um, can satisfy the consumer. W- one of the things is difficult. We've been very blessed over a long period of time. Our phone rings. We, we have we have good occupancy and have for a long time. Um, it's difficult to sit in my office and hear somebody go, we don't have any units or we don't have, you know, or, you know, and, and so I talked about a few years ago before COVID that we needed to think about if we were a car dealership, you know, and we would have an Avalon and a Camry and a Corolla, we need to make sure that for our consumers, our, our customers, that we have some different price points and some different types of units so we can try to handle everybody. Um, and it doesn't mean we'll always have units, but um, so that we, we really worked hard at that. We work, we're, we're, a lot of those units that are in the pipeline are different types of units.
0: Okay, yeah, that's good to hear. So yeah, and I guess I really got that from your website that that obviously the the tenants are your customers and and, and you're there to serve them. Uh, Somebody mentioned this the other night and I thought it was interesting. They were talking about the difference between a property manager and an asset manager, where the property manager, the tenants are the customers. And an asset manager, maybe the owner, is, is the customer. Uh, so they're managing that assets. And sometimes they don't always align the views of the owner versus a property manager. So I guess that goes back to your vertical integration, where you do your own property management.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, we have both. We have asset managers in-house in and, and, and property managers that are out on site. Um, I would hope that they work together. Uh, At the end of the day, I work for the customer. Um, I work for the resident. Um, And uh, my success or our success as an organization is based on doing a good job with them. And that starts the day that they're qualified to move in uh, to the day that they move out. And, And most of our customers don't go rent from somebody else. I mean, most of our customers, if they leave, they're either being transferred or they buy a house yeah fantastic we're the inbound of new communities and new home ownership in in our community Um, we have had people stay real long periods of time but that that's the bulk of the model property manager handles the person one-on-one asset manager is closer to the accounting part of our business and just making sure that the asset is performing as best it can you know on the expense and the income part of the business
0: yeah i know i have uh uh i've had tenants that have built houses or or you know they're wanting to transition to a house and and uh i, I think that's great i i've i've let them out of their leases to uh you know hey when's your house going to be done let's time this or you know i just sure. need to just give me the notice because uh i think that's people want to would much rather live in a house and i personally so let me ask you this question this will be interesting i have been asked multiple times would i rather have a hundred houses or a hundred unit apartment building
1: Uh, i'd rather have both Um, (laughs) I, i i i think i think if you can be um have some diversification of your book um that that's important and if, if you're out there building your brand um what you're building your brand mm-hmm. uh, student of money podcast and what your events you're having and so forth it, then you go well why am i doing that well i'm doing that if in my case i'm doing that because i want people to think about me as a quality option for some place to live so if if at a local business somebody says hey john's coming to town he needs a place to live i hope that high is on the list of where they might be referred to to get a call well then once they call um i hopefully have some different types of units so whether i I do have some houses not that many houses but um but hopefully back to the different types of cars hopefully have some different types of units so I, i think i think good real estate assets are good real estate assets. And I think they can be a variety of different types of multifamily. Um, I don't know that one is any better than the other. If, if I was going to give an advice to a, a young person, not not young in age, but maybe young into the businesses, don't get so hung up on on trying to have the first one be the Super Bowl. Just get in the game. Get, get engaged and, 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 and invest your money. If you want to get in real estate, try. You, if I can do it, you can do it. I'm not any smarter, trust me, uh, than anybody else that's out there. Uh, I've just been able over a long period of time to work at it. And, and I've had lots of mentors and lots of people that I trust. I will tell you that most of the people in this building are smarter than me. That's part of the secret is to fi- find really good people and then get out of the way. And uh, so, I just advise. Give, my advice would be: get started, find a lender, find some people you can trust, find people like you, mentors that you can you can ask questions. It's surprising how many people will help you. You know, I think people think, well, they're going to be a competitor; they're not going to help you. Yet, that's not that's not the way most people think. Most people, uh, if they've been blessed and have an opportunity, they're more than happy to help other people get started.
0: Definitely. I- I I 100% agree real estate is a slow wealth creation tool it's not a get rich quick it's not a it's it's just slow but I that's why I like it Mm -hmm. because uh, you know I I don't want that fast moving I don't want to be day trading I don't want to be doing things that you're having to you know I don't know, uh, have caffeine and be. I love the slowness of real estate, and I've I've told people it's slow to get into, it's slow to get out of, Mm -hmm. but when it's running, you know, there's nothing better. Right. Um, So that's why I love it, and and it doesn't. It's not rocket science. Right. It's it's gonna be lucky for us. (laughs) Lucky for us. (laughs) Lucky for us. Yeah. Perfect. So on LinkedIn, on New Year's Eve, I believe it was, you posted something that I thought was awesome and great. So I'm going to quote you on this. It says, uh, no silly resolutions or long-reaching goals for 2023. I have been so blessed in my life to have my family, my friends, and an ability to make a life. The next part is about being in the present. Right. So it's just talk about that for a minute.
1: I just think as you get older, the world... Um, you get a little wiser um, some of the things that maybe were important when you were 20 or 30 aren't as important uh, and you know for me my family and my friendships are paramount my faith my you know um, trying to be a good person and uh, I, I feel like a lot of our young people um, are under a lot of pressure these days and uh, so um, I don't know that it was aimed at anyone, but it, I just want to put out there that it's okay to, um, you know, not have um, thousands of, of high-reaching goals. You can have some goals. You can have some goals. I have goals. I have goals in my pocket. Um, <laughs> I have carried around my written goals for thirty years, um, and so I have goals, and and. But I, the post was, was about, I've just spent a couple of weeks out in California uh, with my daughter, uh, my whole family, my new grandson. And I just, that picture that was, was on the post was taken by one of my girls. I was standing, looking out into the Pacific at Catalina Island, and I really just feel blessed. I just feel blessed beyond belief to to be able to have my life and, and uh, you know, have the friendships I have. and And so, yeah, so.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing I kind of preach to people too is uh, when we're doing all of this, you know, family first and um, make sure your spouse is on board, what you're doing. Uh, when I left my employer back in 2002 and started my first business, it was a lot of stress, a lot of hands-on doing all the work and... Um, you know without that security net it, but you know what I found out is, is is there's nothing more secure than having your own business and, right. and doing your own thing and right and but you can't forget the family and I kind of made a promise to my wife that I'd be home at five Sunday was family day sure and all of these things and now I actually get to run hard a while for a little few more years because I'm an empty nester
1: <laughs> congratulations I have a few more years I have one I have five so I have one left at home one yeah. more left at one, home, left at home. Yeah, one left
0: so at home. you know it's okay if I'm not home for dinner tonight <laughs> you know because uh, the kids aren't there and, right. and 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 they're starting to have their own life and, right. and my daughter's doing architecture at Iowa State wow. and I'm really excited about that because boy if I want to get into development I might have an architect there you go. <laughs> within awesome. the family you That's know awesome. so um I, I that's a that's a big part of it is, is making sure that your vision and your plans are the same as your spouse's and that you're heading in both in the same direction you're both doing the same things and being transparent on what's going on and
1: uh, Amy and I have been married for about 25 years in August and she's the president of High Property Management and she's one of those people I mentioned before that um, is smarter than me and, and helps run what we do along with helping, you know, not helping, raising our five children. So uh, um, I'll just end with this that, you know, about 27 years ago, Amy and I scraped together. She's going to school at Mount Mercy and I was back filling ba- basements. And, and we scraped together, you know, the money we we had, and we bought a little house out on Woodridge Drive, and we live there today. So, yeah, I've been very blessed to, uh, to have my five kids, and have her, and have this this business. And I appreciate you taking the time to want to talk to somebody like me.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. So I think yeah, we'll wrap that up. So again, I appreciate you inviting me down and agreeing to the interview. Absolutely. It's been, it's been great. Hopefully a lot of, a lot okay. of good nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of those good nuggets. So, Daryl yeah. High, appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, Thank no, you very absolutely.
1: Much. Absolutely. Good luck with your things going forward. And if I can ever help you or anybody else, I mean, I'm happy to sit down and and, and talk to them. If anybody want, you want to get into a little more deeper about the development, I'm happy to try to help.
0: Yeah. All right, guys, there you have it. That's our interview with Daryl High from High Properties. Darrell's been in the construction and real estate business for 35 years and I think he dropped a lot of information in that 30 minute interview. So next week we're going to interview another person that you're not going to want to miss. It's going to be our guest speaker at our Real Estate Investing Mastermind launch event February 22nd at the Cedar Rapids Public Library from 2 to 4 o'clock. You're going to want to be there. So. Check back with us next week and see who the guest speaker is going to be. That's all I've got for this week. I'll see you next time on Student to Money.